So these are topic of fields. This is just the particular coinage um, I'm using. Partly because um, so a lot of the what's called the insight Dhamma community often have been introduced to Dhamma practice very much on a kind of like a point um, focus. You focus on a point on the breath, a point, point. This is very good for sharpening attention. Mm-hmm. But it, <laughs> it can miss or lose track in terms of the, the wider qualities uh, of, of heart. So you have a Vipassana practice or a Metta practice, but, or a Samatha practice, but actually the Buddha didn't teach like that, he taught practice. And, you know, it's like you have to get the horse out of the stable before you put the bridle on it and start training it so it's you know, to really get the heart up and running and, and, and feel joyful and encouraged and then you can begin to steer it and, you know, and get up, jump over fences if you like so, so the Buddha really didn't uh, teach many things that we take for granted you know, counting breaths or focusing on the nostrils or this particular, not because these are wrong or bad or anything like that, clearly they have benefits. But, you know, I mean, this is kind of, this is where I began with, this very much focused on one point, trying to tighten up the mind or to get focused. It was always a struggle because the mind didn't want to be tightened up. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is because it's defiled or distracted. You just keep this kind of, but then it's not really very. You know, you're already saying something wrong with you, <laughs> and therefore you both sharpen it up into into this particular thing and keep restraining it. And the system I was doing, they didn't weren't even allowed to experience any kind of pleasant feeling. You just go cut it off and go back to the breath. So it was pretty tight. And just to get the sense of, as long as you get the anicca going, you know, the impermanence going, that's the main thing, impermanence. And I'm sad at dukkha, which is plenty of, didn't really have a lot of practice for that. <laughs> and anatta. Whatever it is, you don't want to linger with anything in case it becomes you start to wallow, wallow in happiness. I don't see myself wallowing in happiness. <laughs> you know, I get sidetracked into jhana or something like that. There's no way I get sidetracked into jhana. So it's like it seems to be a rather refined uh, approach. When maybe you know the creature that needed the refinement hadn't even arisen yet. <laughs> yeah. like you've got the you've got the bridle and the stirrups, but no horse. The horse is still collapsed in the stable. He's <laughs> 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 desperately needing some food. <laughs> <laughs> 
sense. Uh, and then when one lives in a Buddhist country, you realize most of it is kind of quite joyful. Joyful and, and gratitude, joyfulness, and puja is the main thing. And then it's very kind of common if you want to be miserable, then you can. You're allowed to be sort of, you know, this dry, miserable thing if you want to do that. They're quite, they're quite happy to support it. <laughs> they're not going to do it themselves. <laughs> So, you know, this field of Dhamma, the rich pasture, a rich pasture to browse in, and to enjoy, and to roam in, and to, to uh, find beautiful things growing in, and be nourished by it. Very, very important. Because we live in such a, in my opinion, starved, starved uh, experience. Even though in some ways it's quite wealthy, for some, well, particularly for some people, very, very wealthy. Um, and that hides the fact of how, how starved it is in terms of trust, in terms of um, feeling, people feeling joyful, um, relaxed at ease. It's a very frightened, tense scenario of rage and grief and fear. And there's very little trust in the public domain. Clearly our leaders, so-called leaders of society and people we have very little trust in. This 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 is what we're living in, you know, and you can't you can't dismiss the effects of that on the heart. Or isolated cities, you know, we not certain where you're going to get mugged or people to break in, so you've got kinds of security things and people are getting raped and stuff. It's, it's hardly even news anymore. Mm-hmm. So you can't really, you know, dismiss the effects of that. So it's just even being here in a rural situation, with plenty of space, very quiet, accommodating service provided, um, people who give precepts, just even to be in that is, is, a, is a blessing. Double field. Kalyanamita. So it's just, it's just, it's, it's there, you know, you have the world and the Dhamma. And we're in it. And the most, um, pertinent um, feature of, of this use of this term is to recognize you're also in a, a karma field, field of your karma, field of inherited effects. You know, some of you think you've acted on something you've just been in, you've been created by, you know, you've been molded by, you've taken on without even wishing to, you've been immersed in a particular set of standards, attitudes, views, history, personal, familial, social, and we've been immersed in that, we've been shaped in that, or something's been shaped in that. And what's been shaped in it is called the person. (laughs) We take the person personally.
But the person is really the result of the field. The fields, the intersecting fields. So there can be the beautiful, yeah, and there can be the distorted and uh, painful and, uh, you know, the worldly things can be coming in. The natural results of the generosity, the goodwill that others have shown us, that can be in there. It's a, it's a mingled thing. This is, and this is our, our personal field. And within that, you recognize, yeah, you know, you, you obviously you've inherited somehow some good roots, otherwise you wouldn't be doing this. You know, you have the fundamental blessing of being a human being, you know, which means you do have the ability to empathize, to experience a sense of conscience and concern, um, to incline towards harmony. Uh, you can understand the Dhamma. So you have these blessings. And yet you also have these, uh, these afflictions. And we can take it all just as personal, but remember the person is the result of these effects. And some of them you didn't even do. Some of them you just were in. You took, you took it on because that's what you were in. You took on the speed. You took on the myth of progress. You took on, you know, the sense of materialism as being the source of happiness. Nobody explained it to you, you just took it on, you were in it, you were born in it. So you get shaped by that. And these worldly fields um, are very, when you realize they're very limited in their benefits, they're not devoid of any benefit, otherwise we wouldn't do it. But they're really devoid of, of, of um, heart benefits. The business model is extremely stressful. And the business model gets hooked up to material progress. So material progress is what we need in order to be, you know, what? (laughs) You know, an erotic mess in the comfort of our own homes. driven and these things get so deeply factored in we get the sense of hurry up faster is better you know in fact slower is dreadful Uh, better and more quicker better more those are all equivalent actually quicker and more doesn't mean better it just means quicker and more start to get the sense of what's happening when you run those those meanings through your mind quicker uh, yeah how does that feel yeah. associated with frustration impatience hurriedness loss of awareness loss of presence self superficial more insatiable hungry when you come to what your body tells you, 
about those, those experiences. But of course, uh, um, you know, in our conditioning, we don't get taught, we don't get educated to listen to the body. We get educated to listen to the, the media. But it's quite striking when you come to, uh, if you can find any now, of course, of course the whole world is now saturated, but uh, certainly in my younger days you could come across people in parts of the world where they didn't have this conditioning. And they look up fast and they think, what? What are you doing that for? <laughs> you know, they don't, don't get it. Like, Why hurry? What's the hurry? Seems, it seems, doesn't feel good. You know, and you start to say things like eight o'clock, and they look at you, eight o'clock, they smile, because they think you're trying to be polite, but eight o'clock doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so, nobody, you know, when you turn up at five to eight, nobody turns up, you're getting angry and upset. Somebody rolls up about, you know, 8.45. You said eight o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> or more. And uh, the more means more burden, more weight, more stuff to have to carry. You know, so you get people look at these things from a different perspective because your body. You look at it, feels those feel, those qualities feel burdensome. Uh, you know, slower means not like desperately dragging my heels. It's time to linger and appreciate, and can't be precise because you don't quite know what the future will bring. So you just do the best you can. You know, gonna be. You can't time it exactly. You can't time a breath. You know, when will you breathe in next? How long have you got to breathe in? So we get obsessed with these kind of measurement modes, which are abstract, and they, you know, they can compress the reality of the heart. And not allow it to come up, be felt, express itself, direct us to what's important. To what's important. And I don't know what's important, but you know, you begin to sense it. So I even found this um, feeling of, you know, whatever it is, just go back to the breath. And I was skipping over important stuff. I was so determined to meditate, to get this thing right, I was skipping over all kinds of experiences that were happening. My, my heart was talking about, my body was feeling, I was just ignoring it in order to do the right system. Uh, so, you can come to these frustrating experiences where you, you, know, you follow the instructions and you still don't. You still feeling distraught, 
alone, isolated, uh, difficult emotions, uh, repressed feelings, because they never got a chance to be ventilated. And instead, we're just crunching everything down to this one point. Then one actually looks in the, in the, in the scriptures, which I eventually dared to look at, because I mean, you know, it's bad enough already without looking at <laughs> where it all came from. <laughs> and then you start to notice things like the Buddha doesn't say, focus on a point. He says, you know, have one aim in mind, have one sense of this is what I'm involved with, but not like a narrow point. He didn't say anything about staying, you know, following the track point by point in the breathing. He just said, be aware you're breathing in, breathing out, be mindful of it. Mindfulness is described more like a loop than a, than a, than a, than a point. It's just, you know, you, you frame something up and you place something, your mindfulness sits around the experience you're having rather than nails it. So that an experience is well, it's held carefully. You know, processed, held carefully, then you can be wise about it as you're holding it. Think, well, no, that isn't necessary, that's, this is important. This is the bit. This isn't necessary. Mm, yeah, I don't know. And you're holding it, letting, giving it its time to express itself. So it's uh, it's not it's not an easy thing. It's not a thing one can exactly systematize. Although yeah, systems have their uses. But to understand what you're, what you're with, you know, which is the personal field. The personal field is the mix of the beauties, uh, the strengths, the gifts, and the damage. and the pieces that we just bounced off and turned away from. And quite as, our personality has quite a lot of bounce in it, if you notice. There's bits that you just move away from, or shut down, or something closes, or you find yourself speeding up and going somewhere else. You know, something happens and you... That's the bounce. Where things suddenly speed up and your mind has gone somewhere else. What happened? Where did that one come from? So this this is the personal shell. Toughen up to crack. Because the, the bounce, the reactivity, uh, is so built into the way I am, seemingly. My personality is this. My personality is also quite fragile in some ways. It doesn't want to be noticed. It doesn't want to be, doesn't have its weak points pointed out because I start to feel very threatened by that or blamed or shamed. So I get a bit nervy about having some of these areas touched, even being aware of myself, let alone somebody else. <laughs> uh, so this, uh, this is a tough nut to crack because something doesn't want to be cracked. And um, 
we take our personality very personally to feel ashamed or you know uh, or overcritical or feeling any sense of, of, of scrutinizing it is going to make is going to bring up intense self-criticism and aversion and shame which you can do so this sense of the overall quality is of the Dhamma is acceptance a big field big field it doesn't mean you have to adopt it and ride with it but you have to accept it it doesn't mean you adopt it and start acting upon it or validating it but to accept it accept it and if you again if you look through the scriptures you never see a single instance where the Buddha said go away I'm not talking to you thieves murderers kings, grandmothers, you know, people of other sex, people accusing you, he never said, go away. Oh, you know, demons and so forth. In, in the scriptures, you demons coming threatening and say something like, I don't think you can threaten me. Um, if you ask me a question, I'll answer it. So even kind of malign forces, he never shut them out. And this is, you know, you take a simple thing like that, is that a system? Technique? That comes later. You know, the first thing is this Buddha, the capacity to accept the presence of everything. You know, mass murderer, tyrants, you name it. Never an instance where he shut people off. <coughs> and then, you know, and then the Buddha taught so often on their own ground. Okay, you want to talk about this? We'll talk about it that way. You want to wrangle with this? We'll wrangle this way. Yeah, you want to, yeah? Tell me what you need and I'll, I'll turn that way. Yet remained on his own axis, but turning it to me. This is formidable and, and deeply, deeply inspiring uh, presentation. The capacity to do that. Because the personal shell will there. Nobody to defend. Nobody to prove, have to prove anything. Not fearing judgment of any kind. So this personal field, and for this to feel practice means you, you survey the whole thing, the whole quality. And this is something that you can't do just through adding up the dots. 
because the mechanism is different. It's not a it's not a point survey. It's it's a different aspect of of a way of mind that does that. Yeah. You have the mind that's very good, which is associated much more with the visual sense. That's why so often, you know, meditation you're about watching the mind, observing, being the observer, because it gives a sense of distance and yet also that crisp perspective. But this is this that which yeah but there's something else as well, which is much broader and softer focus. It's just we could say fundamental receptivity. Um, yeah, I mean, throw all kinds of words at it. Fundamental awareness, openness. Um, sit where there's a sense of resonance and sympathy arises, and this is chitta. This is heart. This is the Buddhist word for mind, chitta. There's different qualities to it, but the primary sense of it, most usefully, is probably heart. You want to get it down to one word. Because it, it, it feels, it perceives, it experiences meaning and mood, and it resonates, and it runs and reacts, and it, it gets agitated and stirred, but it also can experience loving-kindness, gratitude, uh, resolution, and it can know itself, and it can calm, and it can clear. And this is the the creature, this is our horse. This is the one we have to get on its feet and encourage, and then start grooming it, you know. So this sense of acceptance, you've got to accept the beast as it is. And even if you make it, you can use almost that one word as a practice. You, particularly if you're in a situation where you've got this sense of restraint built in, precepts established. You know, whatever's happening being that which accepts the presence of it just to check the bounce system and if you're bouncing you accept the bounce because <laughs> yeah. sooner or later that effect is going to start you know being felt you're not, you're not going crazy about how much you're bouncing around okay? then that, that quality of acceptance starts seeping through and the uh, most direct way is to do it in your body to feel the agitation, the stirrings accept the presence of that (coughs) relaxing because the body is much more open to change than your personality is your personality is not so it likes the idea <laughs> but it generally wants to change for the better quickly <laughs> it doesn't want that <laughs> the growing process the learning process it doesn't want <laughs> you know the going through and, and the oh, oh. <laughs> 
and acknowledging why the bounce is there, why the trembling is there, why the, the uh, aver- aversion is there. Yeah. But we're not looking for reasons anymore. We're not looking in this direct body practice, we're not looking for reasons or tribunals or analysis. We just want to, you know, this is the quick way, if you like, coming into your body and feeling the resonances, accepting, relaxing, widening awareness, being with the emotional energies that move through, don't have to be explained, and widening to allow them to to ventilate and steam off. Uh, This is humble practice. we're We're as sane as we can be right now. This is the dumber field. Place a tremendous blessing because it's the pragmatic blessing of accepting your personality as it is, as just that. And recognizing also that's not all there is. You have access to richness of the dumber field and to allow that to percolate through the felt system to percolate through the heart through the body to allow the dumber field to, to move through your embodied presence the qualities of say example just loving kindness What is the energy of that? We experience it in your pulses, in your blood, in your heartbeat, and your breath rate. What is the experience of compassion? What is the energy of that? When it meets your anxiety, or your feeling of failure, what is it? What does that do? And to not interfere with it personally, but to allow it to do its work. There's a humility there. Personality cannot fix the personality. But because that's not all we are, because we have access. And this is something you know, we're both blessed by, it is available, and also recognize a sense of miracle. You know. I'm in that. Why? So 
Now, if you really contemplate this, and it takes you to something vaster that you're in touch with. You know, we take the personality so personally as some kind of final benchmark that we measure reality by or our subjective world by. Um, and, it, and as long as one does so, we're looking through the wrong lens. We're looking at the jitta, the heart mind, through the wrong lens. The personality is a form that arises through the interaction of the heart mind with the sense world, with the world of family and people and society and events. Personality forms as the, as the heart arises within that. But the heart wasn't born there. That's why it can be so confusing, so disorienting. And of course, in the you know, traditional Buddhist explanation, saying we've been through these many births, nobody can really understand this because it doesn't doesn't make sense on a personal level. But I've known people who weren't like twins. You know, they came out of the same womb at the same time. <laughs> The same parents, the same country, exactly the same situation within seconds of each other. And this one's different from that one. Psychologically, emotionally, they go different directions. What, what, what's that? It's, nobody starts out with a blank slate, as it were. Something's already there. That's, and who knows? So one should be open to the mystery and uh, allow yourself to be surprised by yourself, by your practice. So when we take the Dhamma field as our true origin, rather than the personal field, or the worldly field, we take the Dhamma field as our true origin, place of the arising, of the search for truth, meaning, the arising of the capacities to bear with, to seek, to test oneself, to bear with the difficult, to be accepting of the personal, to experience gratitude and generosity. This is more our home, and with this we are deeply resourced to meet what comes up. And when you practice from that place, the heart is ready, and body starts to respond. You can find embodiment a lot easier. Yeah, you get the aches and pains, but it doesn't seem to be so much of an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. Your breathing is no longer kind of a some sort of test that you've got to pass at or get good at. It's just that's what I do. <laughs> Bodies do that, and you can, you know, 
you're not tightened up around it, it goes a lot better, and you feel more comfortable with it, and it, it keeps giving you experiences. And these experiences are not just the, the pains of the person, but they're the experiences of gladness and comfort and ease and rapture, uplift. It gives you those if you are approaching it from in the right way. You know, say right way immediately, or doing it the wrong way. No, I mean really like, like starting from like the Buddha's presentations is always things like you you start with experiencing and acknowledging generosity, gratitude, sharing. You don't have to be that good to like feeding your dog, you know. <laughs> Or want to send somebody a Christmas present. You don't have to be that saintly. <laughs> and to have been given something an education, clothing, food, you know, you don't have to be star to have something given. And to experience this both the need to give and the need to be given to. Yeah. And to allow oneself to be given to. Without feeling you deserve or you're good enough to receive it. And just Enjoy that, that quality. Let it happen. If you don't allow yourself to be given to, a person can't do giving, can they? And when you realise how happy you are to give, you want to, you know, let that facilitate that. So this then this is because this begins to really work on those that personality shell that's got a Prove, be good enough, not need, not be needy, be independent, and win and earn and deserve and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> so it's mutual, isn't it? The mutuality helps to gently you know, begin to erode the personality shell. The mutuality. So this is where you begin. And it says it's not just material things. It's advice, hospitality, general gestures, welcoming. All those are this quality of intermutuality, and not to be in a comparative sense, like who's giving most or who's better. Just doesn't matter, you know. If you've got a lot, good for you. Well, then you can give more. But if you've got a little bit, good for you, you can give a little bit. It's not, it's not, you know, there's no accountancy on this thing. <coughs> because it's the same heart. And that's the heart we want to encourage. And this, this, is the, this is how you enter. And then the sila. Sila means mutual respect. It's not just about keeping rules in some nerve-wracking way. And, and feeling law and order, you know, which really goes wrong. Law and order, puritanical <coughs> criticism, damnation, punishment, but mutual respect, mutuality, like conscience and concern, sensitivity. You mean something to me, I don't want to 
you know, I don't want to offend or make things difficult for you. Also, realize my heart has to receive the effects of what I do. I need to respect it. I need to realize if I keep fooling around, it's not going to do my heart much good. I I need to respect this quality in myself. That's very different from blame, punishment, law and order. So, what's happening? Dana, Sila, these two? Something's being enriched and and offered. You you have beauty, you have this. This is the this is chitta, the beauty of it. And it's saying, and then the next thing is, is when you see just how lost and distracted pe- beings, people get in the in the sense realm, greed, acquisition, jealousy, accumulation, hoarding. Just see how people get unrestrained, people get around sexuality, how much abuse, violation occurs, greed, rabid, disrespectful. He said, then you see the hazard of it and you renounce. You say, no. Enough. Enough is enough. That's fine for me. And you. And this gives you the sense also, not of, you know, like puritanical handcuffs, but a sense of, I'm bigger than this. Uh, I'm bigger than this. My heart doesn't need this. And it's up for us all to judge where we are with that, or to assess what's suitable, to find our standards. But just renunciation is not a monastic practice. I mean, it is, but it's not just. That, that, that lets people off. <laughs> it's everybody's practice. <laughs> it's just you, you determine what, what you can say enough of, you know. And uh, I think the beauty of, of uh, lay life is you have to be personally conscious of that and to make those decisions. Monastic, sometimes you get it easy because you, don't, you can't make it. It's already made for you. You know, clip, you're right, you're not having any of that. <laughs> Handcuffs. But, uh, <laughs> so, in a way, you get kind of lazy about it. Or, or you find ways to, to indulge in other things, you know. Uh, I won't go into it. No. <laughs> Look, it's within the rules, therefore I can have one, you know. So, uh, you know, this rule sense is another worldly attitude. It's not about rules and laws and order. These are just markers, flags to remind us be careful with sexuality, be careful. You know, this stuff ruins people. Uh, be careful with intoxicants. People's lives go down the drain on that one. Be very careful. Yeah. This is for your welfare. Be careful of getting lost in fashionings and you know beauty and stuff like that. It costs a lot of money, and you're basically 
you're on a sinking ship, you know, it's going down. <laughs> There's only so many flags you can fly on that thing before you. <laughs> so dignity is better. <laughs> So this, this is what it's about. It's about just being a bit more recognizing, you know, how, how people slide into, into disasters. And then, now, now we're doing some training. This is where the bridle starts to come on, you know, with wisdom and personally decided, no, that's enough. Finding the measure for the horse as it gets up, you know, this is enough. And this way, we steer it this way. So it starts, then he says, then after this, then you can start doing your meditation. Because now you've got, you're taking personal responsibility. You're not just following some book. I do this, do that manual. You're following personal responsibility for steering your chitta. Now you know what the creature is. You know its beauty, but you also know it's, it's, it's slippery. It's, it's seducible. It's deludable. It gets swept away. You steer it from a sense of, you know, guidance. <coughs> so then we, we come into that that uh, process, and you say first thing you do you start to recognise dealing with feeling and passion and recognizing the, the ricochets when pleasant feeling touches, painful feeling touches. And even then, it's not asking one to be, you know, that heroic. But I should say, look, look, you want some pleasant feeling? Have this one. This is the pleasant feeling called generosity. This is the pleasant feeling called self-respect. This is the pleasant feeling we call calm and happiness of the body. Go to this one, drink this one in, and you won't want the rest of it because this one is more secure, innate, and rewarding. This is the joy. This is the rapture in yourself. This is this is then you you've got something. Then you work with the feeling, and the heart is strengthened, and then you can start to say, "Well, let's go this way. Just stay with that." Because the heart's been fed, and and it's 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 it listens to you. The driver is now wise, and the heart trusts it. And now we just do this, make an effort with this, yeah. and guiding. Hmm. So much of our, it's a personal realm, clearly. Uh, so we all have our personal dimensions we work within. And, you know, wherever you are in that. Uh, but I don't, very few people have a straight line. It's mostly zigzag. You get some calm periods and it's some agitation. It's a confidence period of doubt. Periods of feeling completely lost and sunk, and people periods when you feel buoyant, dullness, and sleepiness, restlessness, hindrances, steeped in hindrances, and then breakthroughs into luminosity. 
it's like that, as far as I can make out. Yeah. But you know, you maintain a standard of the Dhamma, acceptance. Don't identify. Don't identify is not just a, a concept. It means that that fascination, that absorption, that uh, regurgitation, that swallowing and taking in, that fondling and agonizing, yeah. that mesmerizing uh, experience, that hypnosis of this is what I am, stuck in the that absorption into self, that's a trance. Uh, how do you come out of it? How is your body feeling that? Can you feel your back, your spine, yeah. your uprightness, your chest opening? So this bodily formation is the most easy, less hypnotized uh, form that you can, that you can use because it, unlike the chitta, it doesn't get so entranced with itself. Therefore, we can refer to that and hold the ground when we're going through the storm and hold the ground when we're going through in the doubt and acceptance. Acceptance is both, you could say, it's an attitude it's not, and it sounds kind of easy. Some things are pretty dark, tough to not bounce off. But this sense of that's what encouragement is. Put it as disengagement. Disengagement may sound spaced out, but it's just that sense when we disengage from bounce, from reactivity. That's what acceptance means. You have to, if you disengage from the reactivity, you still have to start accepting. It, it, that's what it means. And the space widens and opens. And yeah, you can. And, you know, and it's the power of that that begins to drain this reactivity that keeps us bouncing. And this very bouncing, that's exactly what samsara is. So, in any moment, any time, when we feel that, you know, that edge, that fragility, that itchy, that reactivity, and you step back, you're already dismantling samsara, the long process. There's where the point is. If you want the one point, that's the point. Everything else, every other training of one-pointedness is to get to find that point where the attachment. So yeah, we can build up resources in terms of sustaining our attention to a particular locality Breathing in, breathing out is exemplary um, because it, it, it carries so much of the fruits and the richness of the Dhamma in it, and it's embodied, it's involuntary. 
but clearly it's not always something that everyone can open to. So, you know, my teacher Ajahn Sumedha would often teach just space, listening to space. It's a bit frustrating when you're looking for some kind of point-by-point system. You say, well, what about the point-by-point? What about it? You say, mm-hmm. I'm aware of that. Yeah, but what, yeah. what are we supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My mind does that too. Mm-hmm. And I just let it go into the space. Oh, goodness, this isn't going to go anywhere, is it? <laughs> So just use that, because I think recognizing just how uptight and tense and wrangled and pernickety we can get around trying to get the right thing. And the power of the word right and wrong. Every right brings a wrong and the power that those words have over us to get us really bouncing and tight. So it's an opening, embodied opening. Within that, can you feel yourself, your warmth, bodily warmth? Can you feel your vitality? Can you feel the rhythm, the flowing rhythm? Can it flow? That's your breathing. Now you, you may not associate it with respiration, but respiration is only one feature of breathing. That's the sensory level of it. The energetic level of breathing is just the flow of vitality through this, through the body, and that's the thing that uh, that's the quality that will lead to happiness, to rapture, to ease, to permeation of the entire body with happiness. That's not air. That's prana, that's, that's juice, that's, that's energy. <coughs> <coughs>